And the church today ought to be just as powerful as the church was back 2,000 years ago. And we can be. If we'll do what they did, then we'll get the same results. And so notice here in, in verse 42, Acts 2.42, they continued steadfastly. Now, this was the people. They continued steadfastly. These were Christians, not just the disciples, but all the people that had gotten saved on the day of Pentecost. There were 3,000 people that got saved that day. They continued steadfastly, notice, in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship. That fellowship was fellowship around the word of God. It wasn't just hanging out and having a hamburger and talking about the cardinals or the blues. It was talking about the word of God. Everything these people did centered around the word of God. And in breaking of bread, that had to do with receiving communion and in prayers. These were people of prayer. And then in verse 43, it says, fear or reverence, reverence came on every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. That's healings and miracles and things. Isn't that wonderful? So uh, then in, uh, with that in mind, let's receive communion. It's, it's, the Spirit of God directed us to receive communion every Sunday until the end of June, until the Sunday that Lynn Mint comes. And that's what we're doing. Normally we, we, we receive it about every six weeks. But we're receiving communion every Sunday until uh, uh, Lynn Mint comes. Okay? So let's receive communion. Let's just do what they did. That's, this, is part of, this is part of what they did. Father, we thank you for your goodness and mercy. We thank you for the body of Jesus that was broken for us. And as his body was broken and he bore our sickness and disease, then we can be free from it. And we just thank you for it. And we, we receive this bread that represents his body in remembrance of him with a thanksgiving heart for all that he did for us. Break and eat. Father, we thank you for the precious blood of Jesus that washes our sins away. is never to be remembered again. We're thankful that the blood of Jesus cleanses a sinner when they first come to Jesus and believe on him. That blood washes their sins away and they become a Christian. But we also know that we as Christians, if and when we miss it, we can repent and confess our sins. And that same blood washes those sins away. So we're grateful for the blood of Jesus. So as we partake of this juice that represents his holy blood, we do so with a thankful heart. And uh, we could never thank you enough for the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We do this in, in remembrance of him till he comes. Go ahead and partake. The ushers will be receiving the communion cups. Let's continue with the word of God now in verse 44. Notice Acts 2.44. As they received communion, you need to realize that they did this on a regular basis. This was happening daily. Daily. They'd be in the apostles' doctrine. In the word of God Daily. They would fellowship around the word of God daily, receive communion daily, prayer. They had prayer lives daily, reverent people, signs and wonders in the midst. Isn't it wonderful we had these testimonies this morning? And the, the Lord's been healing people here for the last 21 years. I mean, it's, it's a good thing. 
And he continues to do so to the present hour. And all who, verse 44, who believed worked together, they had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. Now, we've talked to you about this, so I'll not go through it again. This was not socialism or communism. This was free will. They did this not because they had to. It wasn't the government taking their goods. It was something that they did in this church in Jerusalem. I can't see where they did it in any of the other churches. And there was also a law that the municipality had passed there that was a law of persecution. And we talked to you about that and why they did what they did as far as selling their goods and laying laying them at the apostles' feet. It answers why Peter said, remember when he told that crippled man, he said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. The reason he didn't have silver and gold is because he had sold his goods and Probably his fishing boat in his house and laid it there in the treasury of the Lord. And uh, so that's what they did here in this church in, in Jerusalem. Now let's go to Acts, the fourth chapter. And we'll see how this costs somebody, their, uh, uh, two people, their lives. We'll see why they fell dead. They fell dead in church. Notice here, Acts, the fourth chapter in the 32nd verse. Now, the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. See, there it is again. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked, for all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them. And brought the proceeds of the things that were sold, laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed each one as anyone had need. And Joseph, who is also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it, and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now we go to chapter 5 and verse 1. But a certain man named Ananias, with Sapphira his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the proceeds. His wife, now Ananias did this, but his wife, Sapphira, was aware of it. She was in on it. And brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? So you see, there was no obligation for him to sell it. There was no obligation for him to give any of it. And he says here again in verse 4, after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Now, a couple of things I want to say right here. He said in verse 3, Peter said, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? And then in verse 4, it talks about why have you, Peter said, why have you conceived this thing in your heart? 
You need to realize that a person is tempted. The book of James tells us this. When they're drawn away of their own lust and enticed. And when lust conceives, it brings forth sin. Now, somebody would look at this and say, well, I don't see any lust in here. I don't see any sexual stuff going on. Well, I don't either. But, you know, there's lust that doesn't have to do with sexual things. You understand that. Well, what were what were what was Ananias and Sapphira lusting after? I think it's pretty clear. Barnabas had just sold something and brought all the money and laid it at the apostles feet. And since the Bible brings that out. There was probably it, I don't see where the, the Peter and John made a big deal out of money like, you know, we're going to you know come up and give an offering and we're going to announce your name to everybody. The Bible's not for that kind of thing. Do you understand that? Making a show of offerings and tithes and, you know, whoever gives the most gets the accolades. Do you understand that? How many understands that? But nonetheless, you know, even though they weren't making a show of Barnabas's gift, Apparently, the congregation knew what Barnabas had done. And apparently, there was some sort of attention drawn to Barnabas for what he had done. Are you okay? Are you okay or not? And it's clear to me that Ananias and his wife Sapphira were lusting after the attention that had been paid Barnabas. They wanted that same kind of attention. They wanted that same kind of popularity or that notoriety. Did, did you, do you follow that? They wanted to perhaps outdo Barnabas and get the same kind of accolade that to whatever degree that he got. You know, there's some people need to have a house bigger than the Jones house. Even though they can't afford the house they're living in, they need they need to have one bigger than the Jones. You know, we got to have isn't that the old saying? We got to have something bigger than the Jones or the Browns or the Smiths or the whoever, whatever name is it doesn't. Have you noticed that sometimes people need to have something bigger than their neighbor, better than their neighbor? Well, the neighbor bought a certain boat. Well, we got to buy a bigger one. You understand that? I've watched that over the years. Uh, how many ever watched Little House on the Prairie? Anybody remember Harriet Olson? You know, she had that desire. You know, she wanted that notoriety. She wanted to be the leading citizen in the community. She wanted to. You know, if somebody gave a gift to the church, she wanted to give a bigger gift to get that notoriety. And she would probably be sure that it was in the paper that she put out, you know, in the community. Do you understand kind of what was going on perhaps with Ananias and Sapphira? Do you see that or not? A lust, a desire to be seen, to have attention drawn to them. You okay with that? Were they obligated to sell anything? Were they obligated to give anything? They weren't. 
Could they have come in and said, we sold such and such and we're going to give half of it to the church? Would that have been fine? That would have been fine. Would have been fine if they said, we're not going to give any of it. Would have been fine if they just said, we're going to give 80%. We're going to keep 20 for ourselves. Is that would have been fine? The problem is, is that they, they sold it and they kept back part of it, but they made the show that we gave it all. Now, notice here in verse 3, why had, Peter says, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? And I think the real question here, I'm saying this is an appropriate question, but I think really what we might think, of, think is this. Ananias, why did you allow Satan to fill your heart? Remember, Satan is the tempter. And he no doubt tempted Ananias and Sapphira, and they paid heed to that and they were drawn away of their own lust and they were enticed and then it was conceived in their heart and then they did the they did this deceptive act and notice in verse 5 well let's finish verse 4 why have you conceived this thing in your heart you have not lied to men but to who but to god He's standing there in the church. You got to remember this. This was apparently a church service. There were thousands of people in this church. It was a large church. I don't know how many people were there there that day, but we know 3000 got saved on the day of Pentecost. So there were probably a lot of people here. And notice Ananias, verse five, hearing these words. If you studied that out in the original text, hearing these words. It actually says, having heard these words, there's an implication that he had time to think about what he was doing. Peter was giving him a chance to repent. Now, what should have Ananias have done right there? He should have probably fallen down on his knees and said, I repent, I lied, I I did wrong, please forgive me. And how many of you know the Lord would have instantly forgiven him? Is that right? You've got the Bibles full of scores and scores of wicked, wicked men that did horrible things. But upon repentance, the Lord stayed his judgment. He had time to repent. Brief time, but time nonetheless. But he didn't repent. And notice the next two words in verse 5, he fell down. You know, we've said much about falling under the power of God, you know, in a church service. And most people fall. What I've noticed over the years just fall because it's a learned behavior. How many of you know you shouldn't fall just because it's a learned behavior? If if, lays, if a man or a woman of God lays hands on you and the power of God hits you, then you need to fall down, fall down, you know. But don't just fall because it, it, it's a thing to do. These people fell. I don't think it would have mattered if they had catchers there or not. Because he breathed his last. He fell dead right there in the church, didn't he? Didn't he? I've said for years, you know, one way to... Because, you know, a lot of times people will fall because they just it's kind of a learned behavior. I do believe in falling under the power of God. I've seen people fall under the power of God. And there's nothing wrong with having a catcher there to catch them. But I will say this. If you really fall under the power of God, you don't really need a catcher. Because I've seen people fall under the power of God and there wasn't a catcher. And I've seen them hit the ground and they weren't hurt because they fell under the power of God. 
But we have catchers there just in case somebody falls because it's a learned behavior. <laughs> Helps with the lawsuits. No, I'm teasing. He got it. I think I'm going to like that kid. But this is the kind of falling you don't want to do in church. Fell down, breathed his last. He fell down dead, didn't he? So great fear came on all those who heard these things. Now, how many of you would agree with me that that would cause great fear to come? Is that right? And the young men arose. Now, these are the ushers. Dale, you know anything about embalming? No, okay, I didn't think so. The ushers need to be real sharp on this one, didn't they? They came up against something they'd never come up against. The young men rose up, wrapped him up, carried him out, and buried him. Think about that. Now, it was about three hours later when his wife came in. Now, why three hours later? Well, we all know that. It takes ladies longer to put on makeup and all that. Watch it. Okay. Well, I'm being a little jokative. Is that a right word? Jokative? Trying to make a joke. There's some truth in that, though. But the real interesting thing, not knowing what had happened... Such fear, now I want to be real serious now, such fear fell upon the congregation. This is a miracle in and of itself. Nobody ran out of the service to go tell her. I mean, don't you think that when he fell dead, it had everybody's full attention and great fear upon, uh, great, I mean, reverence. And, and, and probably some non, I mean, reverential fear. But you know, I have a reverential fear of God, but I also fear God. And we should. I mean, He's God. It's one thing that's wrong in this nation is there's, we've lost a fear of God. Did you hear what I just said? And the pulpits are mainly responsible for it. We need to preach the goodness of God, but we also need to preach the severity of God. But she had no clue what had happened. Think about that. Nobody told her. I mean, doesn't, doesn't news travel pretty quick? It travels quicker now, but it always has traveled fast. Somebody fell down dead. Now, how many of you know if somebody came up here, I laid hands on them, they fell down dead. How many of you know that would probably circulate in the community, wouldn't it? Huh? You know. I've never had anybody fall down dead in my church service. Isn't that wonderful? Praise God. Brother Hagen said one time he's had people fall dead in his healing line, you know. And I'm wondering, what did you do? He said, he just went right on. What else are you going to do? First time I was ever in a Brother Hagin meeting, there's a lady fell out under the power of God. She laid there for a half an hour, didn't move. And Brother Hagin just sat on the stage. Uh, this was over at uh, Ron Tucker's uh, Grace years ago. And I just sat there and looked at Brother Hagin. He just, he didn't seem, I was getting a little fidgety, you know. But, and the lady's husband was getting a little fidgety. 
But eventually she got up and she was okay. But all, we, we, can, we can talk all we want. This is a serious thing here. This man fell dead in the church service. And now his wife comes in and he, Peter says to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. Then Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Then immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in. This was something up for the ushers there that day. Found her dead, carried her out, buried her by her husband. And great fear came upon all the church and upon all those who heard these things. That'll do it, won't it? Now, the question I've asked over the years is, did Ananias and Sapphira go to heaven or go to hell? And, and you can really argue it either way. I know there's a dangerous place to die. But, you know, I've come to conclude. Think about it for just a minute. Were these people in the same church where Peter and John were attending? Yes or no? Yeah. And if we, we read it last week, remember when Peter and John were threatened not to preach in the name of Jesus? They came to their own companions, their own company. They came back to this place where Ananias and Sapphira were. So Ananias and Sapphira were of the same company as Peter and John. Right? Also, Peter knew these people by name. This was a large church. So apparently, apparently, these people may well have had some sort of assignment in that church. Maybe they were elders or deacons or held some some position. But that's beside the point. Really, I mean... They were part of the company of Peter and John. Did you get what I just said? And, and you didn't just join this church just because you thought it was a good thing to do. We'll see in just a moment. We've talked about it. When you became a member of that church, you had to get born again. You had to be born again to join yourself. Did you hear me? Also, too, just think about this. Think about this now for a minute. If, real loud say if, just if. If we, and, and I have no certainly leading to do this, but if we were going to do what they did there and sell possessions and bring and lay the money at the pastor's feet, let me ask you this. Now think about this. We're, we're entertaining the question. Were Ananias and Sapphira saved? Were they, were they believers in the Lord Jesus Christ? Did they sell a possession? Did they bring part of it to the church? How many sinners do you know? People out here in the community 
that aren't saved, how many of them do you know are going to sell their house and bring half of it, of the money, and lay it here at our feet? Huh? And let's go a step further. How many Christians in any church congregation is going to do that? Only probably the very most committed ones. Do you ever think about that? I mean... Not only was Ananias and Sapphira a part of the company of Peter and John, but there was a level of commitment there. Just the fact that they'd sell and bring anything. Now, what they did was wrong. It cost them. But I'm quite comfortable that they were saved people. Do you get anything out of what I just said? Now... Somebody asked me one time, why did, they, why did God's judgment hit them so quick? Because we see other people in the Bible that have done things and they get away with it long, long periods of time. The only thing I can say is this. It seems like from my study of the word, it seems like that when, if, you're, if your sin affects just you, now we know ultimately sin affects not just us but those around us, but If your sin is just affecting you, the Lord may well let you get by with it, so to speak. You never get by with it. You're going to, but you don't understand. He, he, let's put it this way. He may let it go on a long time before he judges you, giving you ample time to repent. But when your sin affects others, it seems like judgment comes more quickly. And to the, to the degree that it affects others, seems like, the quicker judge the quicker god will judge that did you get what i just said so i'll conclude then that apparently their sin evidently i would conclude made some prominence in that church and and this sin that they did and it was over an offering right how many of you know tithes and offering holy to the lord is that right but apparently this was going to have some disastrous effect on this church And this was a vital church. It was the first church. It needed to grow. It needed to do well, didn't it? Didn't it? It would appear to me that God had to do this in order to keep the church moving in the right direction. Apparently these people, I'm thoroughly convinced, I can't prove it, but they apparently had a position in that church. Yes, I believe they were saved. I believe they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke with other tongues. They were part of that company. And apparently they had dedication. They had some wrong motives. But apparently they had to be removed. Because this was going, in my opinion, to affect this church. No doubt they died young. They died out of the will of God. But I'm convinced they went to heaven. Now, wouldn't it have been better for them to repent right on the spot? And we'll see later when we get over to uh, Acts, the eighth chapter, Simon the sorcerer. He believed he was baptized, all of that. And and his heart was wrong. How many of you know you can be born again and and have some wrong motives? Is that right? Yeah, I mean, you shouldn't have wrong motives, but it's possible. And and we'll see he he apparently he, he did. He repented. Uh, Ananias and Sapphira didn't. They could have, but they didn't. And it cost them. Now let's go on. Verse 11. Did you get anything out of that? 
But look, before I move on, let me just say this. The, the early church, it was a holy atmosphere in that, in that, in that early church. I'm going to say this again. When you walked into this early church, you knew you'd walked into a holy place. Did you hear me? When you walk into church, you should know you've just arrived at a holy place. I've had people over the years, and what blessed me so many years back, there were some young people, some, some, some teenagers who come in here, and they, they, they came up and told me, said, when we walk in that door back there, it, it, there's something different about this place. There ought to be. You haven't walked into Walmart. You haven't walked into the bowling alley. You haven't walked into the discotheque when you come into the house of God. You've come into the house of God. Did you hear what I just said? You haven't walked into an entertainment center when you walked into the house of God. The house of God should not be an entertainment center. You understand that? Right. Now look at verse 12. And, and through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. And there was one accord in Solomon's porch. That's verse 12. Verse 13. And we talked about these two verses before. Verse 13 and 14. But verse 13 again. Yet none of the rest dared join them. But the people esteemed them highly. These were the sinners that were in that area. It said they durst not join them. To join this church, I'll say it again, it was a serious, holy thing to become a member of this church. You couldn't just, well, we're going to just try this church out and see if we like it. No, you had to get born again and you had, you had to be committed to the Lord to be a part of this place. Do you understand that? It was a holy thing. These people in the early church, when they got born again, I mean, they got born again. They got filled with the Holy Spirit and they, they served God in everything they did. Listen to me. Everything they did revolved around the Lord Jesus Christ. And not just on Sunday, every day of the week. Why did they have such power? Can't you see why they had such power? And, and, and I mean, we just had two people fall dead in the church. Can you see why 13, verse 13 said none of the rest dared join them? It's a holy place. Two people just fell dead. And not only that, people get healed and, 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 and set free in miracles and signs and wonders and powerful preaching. I'm convinced the preaching that Peter did was so powerful that, that when, when sinners did hear it, that conviction... Well, on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people, conviction fell on them. Is that right? He wasn't just given three points in a poem, was he? He wasn't just giving some positive message all the time to make people feel good. He was preaching under the anointing, the powerful word of God. He preached the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and it was powerful in that place. But yet, people that wanted to get saved, verse 14, were increased and added to the Lord multitudes, both men and women. Now notice verse 15, Acts 5.15. So that they brought the sick. Real loud say they brought. You ought to underline that and think about that. And, and, and the thing of it is, is they brought. They brought, they brought, they brought. The reason Jesus' healing ministry was so powerful wasn't just the fact that he was anointed. It's that people brought the sick to him. It's not enough just for someone to sit and listen to all the wonderful healings and things that God's doing. You play a part in that you need to go out and get the sick and bring them. 
they brought. You see this in the ministry of Jesus. You see this in the ministry of the disciples. The early church, they brought. I could preach for hours on that. They brought, they brought, they brought. They brought the sick into the streets, laid them on the beds and couches, verse 15. That at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. Now, Peter's shadow couldn't heal anybody. But when you get in, when, there was so much power on him. When he'd get in about six, six, eight feet of somebody, there was so much power on him that the power of God just healed people. Also, a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing, there it is again, sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Now, verse 17, you see the power there. Don't you see the power? Now, verse 17, then the, then the high priest rose up and all those who were with them, with the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with indignation. They laid their hands on the apostles, put them in the common prison. And at night, the angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. Is it OK to break the law? Yes, if the law violates the word of God. We ought to obey God rather than men. Is that right? Now, the Bible says we ought to be law-abiding citizens, but if the law of man goes against the law of God, we ought to obey God rather than men. And when they heard it, they entered the temple early in the morning and taught. That, now, 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 we read awful quick sometimes. Look at verse 19. And at night, the angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out. That's a miracle, isn't it? Ain't angelic activity. And said, go stand and speak in verse 20. Verse 21, then they, when they heard that, they entered the temple early in the morning and taught. But the high priests and those with them came and called the council together with all the elders of the children of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came and did not find them in the prison, they returned and reported, saying, indeed, we found the prison shut securely and the guards standing outside before the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Wow, that's something, isn't it? Now, when the high priest, the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these things, they wondered what the outcome would be. So one came and told them, saying, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. When the captain went with the officers, then the captain went with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they'd be stoned. And when they brought them, they, they set them before the council and the high priest asked them, verse 28, Saying, did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? See, the devil doesn't want the name of Jesus being taught. We, you know, you understand that. And these religious people were yielding to the devil, weren't they? Look, you filled. Now, look at this. Verse 28. Look, you have filled Jerusalem with your jokes. With your funny stories. With you're trying to entertain these people. No, you filled Jerusalem with your what? With your doctrine. That's teaching of the word of God. And intend to bring this man's blood on us. Well, didn't they say back earlier when Jesus was before Pilate, didn't they say, let this man's blood be on us? But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. Let's say that we ought to obey God rather than men. Now, the Bible says we ought to be law-abiding citizens. Read the book of Romans. You can see that. But if the law of man goes against the law of God, we ought to obey God rather than men. 
Now look at verse 30. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree or on a cross. Him, see he keeps preaching the resurrection here. Him God has exalted to his right hand to be prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sin. So he's preaching the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. Verse 32. And we are his witnesses to these things. And so also is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Now I'm almost finished, but let's go on just a little further here. Let's finish this chapter out. I want you to listen real carefully. Verse 33. When they heard this, they were furious and plotted to kill them. Then one in the council stood up, a Pharisee named Gamaliel. But think about verse 33 again. They're doing good. They're helping people. And they wanted to kill the, the disciples. Something, isn't it? Then Gamaliel, look at verse 34. Gamaliel, he's a Pharisee. And we can we read Paul's writings. Actually, Paul learned at this man's feet. Saul of Tarsus, who became Paul. This is a brilliant man. A teacher of the law, held in respect by all the people, and commanded them to put the apostles outside for a while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take heed to yourselves what you intend to do regarding these men. For some time ago, now listen carefully. I have people come to me. I just had a fellow come not long ago, just, just two weeks ago, sat in my office. He said, I'm starting a church in this area. Do you, do you mind? And I said, no. I don't mind. I've had people that have served in this ministry. And uh, the one of them sat in my office. And he said, I, he said uh, I don't like the way you run things. And I'm going to leave here if you don't do what I want you to do. And I said, well, I want things run. I'm pretty easy to get along with, but I said, I want things done a certain way. And he said, well, he said, uh, if I walk, he said, you know, half the congregation is going to walk with me. And I said, we're going to find out who this church is built on, you or Jesus. And he walked. And uh, two people, three, 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 three people went with him. Now, two people, two, two, two people went with him, went about two miles from here. I remember, remember when he sat there and said, we leave, we're going to destroy your church. Remember that? And I said, we're going to find out who this church is built on. You or Jesus. And so he left and half the congregation didn't leave. Two people left. He went about two miles away, started a church. It lasted just a short time and bellied up, you know, just died. And then the two people that left, one of them came back. The other one wanted to come back, but just she had been just a problem in the church, and we recommended she didn't come back. Had a guy just the other day come by and said, Can, I'm starting a church in the area. I'm a Rhema graduate. I'm going to start a church in the area. Do you mind? I, I don't mind. When that guy did that to me several years ago, I didn't report him to Rhema or anybody else. Never said a word. Lasted a month or two, whatever it was, it bellied up. So, Pastor Terry, why don't you why why don't you care if somebody starts a church? Why didn't you report that guy that did that to you several years ago? Hey, I'm going to give you the answer right here. Look at this, verse 36. For some time ago, Thutius rose up claiming to be somebody. A number of men, about 400, joined him. He was slain, and all who obeyed him were scattered and came to nothing. 
After this man, Judas of Galilee, rose up in the days of the census and drew away many people after him. He also perished, and all who obeyed him were what? Dispersed. So both cases came to nothing, did it? And now I say to you, keep away from these men, keep away from the apostles, and let them alone. For if this plan... For if this plan or this work is of men, it will come to what? Nothing. Nothing. But if it's of God, you can't overthrow it. That's what I told that man that sat in my office two weeks ago. I said, if if you're called of God, I don't want to come against you. I want to help you because if you're of God, it's going to be great. But if you're just doing it out of your own, what you want to do, it'll, it'll come to nothing. And isn't that the truth? Let me say this before I forget. We've been pastoring here 21 years. And do you know that there's churches start, there's probably a church going in almost every school and every hotel within, within a 20 mile radius of this place. There's, <laughs> there's, there's churches starting, there's, it's going on all the time. Do you understand that? But my wife and I were talking the other day. We are the last church that, that we can think of that in the Fenton area, and we're pretty aware of what goes on in the Fenton area, We're the last church that has started from scratch, started from scratch with no help from anybody. Nobody's, no denomination giving us money or anything. We started from scratch 21, almost 22 years ago. The last one that I'm aware of, a bona fide church now, that started from scratch and has purchased property and built a building and still going 20, almost 22 years later. So you decide whether God's told us to do this or not. They start all the time. This school, that school, they start all the time. They belly up. You know, belly up. They die within six months. Most of them don't make it six months. Did you hear me? So when that guy came, do you mind if I start a church up the, uh, across the way? No. Because if he's called of God. But what you do have to ask yourself, is God really calling all these churches to start in a school? And this, I mean, he called us to start in a school. But do you think, do you think it's really the will of God to have 27 30, 50, 60 different churches all over the place. Right here within a, a, a tight radius. Huh? I told you a couple of weeks ago, I'll reiterate it. Most of them start because, like that fellow that I had to deal with some years ago. See, that man's not called to be a pastor. He's called into the helps ministry, but he doesn't want to do that. And he doesn't like the way things are going where God assigned him, so he's going to go do his own thing. Did you hear what I just said? And that's why most of them start. And that's why most of them fall apart. Did you get what I just said there? And so that's what Gamaliel was saying here. He said, if these people are not of God, it's going to come to nothing. If they are of God, we don't want to come against them lest we find ourselves to be fighting against God. You know what the real sad thing is, though, when somebody starts a church out of the will of God? The real sad thing is this. They do draw some people with them. And then when their work bellies up, those people that were drawn away, those are the ones that typically get hurt. Not to mention the pastor that they hurt, that's really called of God. That's the, that's the tragic thing. Did you get anything out of that last five minutes there? I seldom get up and talk like this, but sometimes you need to say some things. And when, that, when I dealt with that all those years ago, I didn't talk to you about it back then. But now it's been, what, ten years? So now I guess we can talk about it, you see. 
Wouldn't you rather have a pastor like that than somebody that gets up here and I air all my dirty laundry and it's a, it's a, it's a Peyton Place church? You don't want a Peyton Place church. You don't want to come in here, Peyton, you know, Peyton Place, you know what that, you know, soap opera, you don't want that. You want to come here to Word of God. But sometimes I do need to tell you some of these things for you to understand what goes on behind the scenes. Now notice here, verse 39, but if it's of God, you can't overthrow it, lest you even be found to fight against God. And they agreed with them, and when they had called for the apostles, and let me ask you this, is the work of Jesus, did this work, this work that Gamaliel was talking about, was it of God or was it of men? It was of who? How do we know that? Because we come 2,000 years later and the church of Jesus Christ is still going, it's still going strong. Can you say Amen. It didn't come to nothing. It was of God. This church after this got stronger and stronger and stronger and powerful and stronger. And multitudes began to come and get saved. Isn't that wonderful? So it wasn't of men. It was of God. Say it was of God. And then notice uh, verse 40. They agreed with him. And when they had called the apostles and beaten them. And, and what did they do to them? They beat them. They beat them. We're allowed to say they beat them. You know, I don't think we ought to read over that real quick. They got beat up. The apostles got beat up. Boy, it cost something to serve Jesus back in that hour. They commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So they departed from the presence of the council, grumbling and complaining. No, how did they depart? Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Shouldn't that be the way we are if we encounter persecution? And and remember, listen to me. Whenever somebody comes against you or whatever, always stay sweet. Realize, say this, say, say stay sweet. And stay sweet, walk in love, walk in forgiveness. Right? If you do get angry, don't sin. Right? But they counted themselves worthy, to, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they look at this, daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Did you get anything out of this? Praise God. Stand with me if you would. We'll pick up with chapter 6 next week. So read chapter 6, 7, and 8 for next week, okay? 6, 7, and 8. Praise God. Well, Heavenly Father, we bless you.